We're going to be in Mark chapter 3 this morning, Mark chapter 3. There's a young girl, she got to attend her first wedding. She was six years old. She was sitting there watching the wedding happening, and she leaned over to her mother, and she said, why is the, the lady wearing white? And uh, the mother responded, she said, white is the color of happiness. This is the happiest day of her life. A moment went by, and the girl looked back at her mom. So why is the guy wearing black? Mark chapter 3, this morning, Mark chapter 3. You ever heard the term peanut gallery? The official definition of a peanut gallery is a group of people who criticize someone often by focusing on insignificant details. Peanut gallery. That's what we're going to look at today, the peanut gallery. Are you part of the peanut gallery? Mark chapter 3, look in verse number 1. The Bible says, And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he saith unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days, or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked around about on them with anger, being grieved with the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the others. Verse 6 says, And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. You hear the story? There's a man with a withered hand at the Sabbath day. Christ asked the Pharisees, the religious people, is it lawful to do good? They didn't respond. Of course, God knew their heart. Christ knew their heart. So he said to the withered, man, withered hand man, the man with the withered hand, reach out your hand, and he did, and as he did, the Bible says his hand was healed. It was restored just as his other hand was. And then the Pharisees went off to plot how they could destroy Jesus, the peanut gallery. This morning, I'd just like to look at a simple thought, and I'm going to try to keep it relatively short today because I've went pretty long the last two weeks, uh, but I can't promise anything. But nonetheless, are you in the peanut gallery? Lord, I pray for your help this morning. I pray as we look at this passage, God, that you'd break down the, um, the hypocrisy in our hearts, God, that you would take away the judgmental spirits, God, that you would um, help us to see whether or not we are being the kind of Christian that you want us to be. God, I pray that you would tear down any um, false, built-up religious thoughts in our minds and in our hearts, and God, that you would teach us just to simply follow you. God, I pray that as we do this, that you will help us, give us strength. God, help me as I present these thoughts this morning, that I would do it clearly and correctly. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. It seems as though Christians have become more and more critical of other Christians. 
It is a problem that has just swept through Christianity as a whole in our country, but I'm more than likely throughout the world, I don't know. But where Christians just are nitpicking and criticizing and tearing down other Christians as they seek, as other Christians seek to do God's will. I think this happens in, in all different people groups. Politicians do it. Um, uh, lawyers do it. Uh, everybody does it, but it is, a, it is just should not belong in Christianity. When a Christian is being blessed, many will criticize them. When a Christian is doing good, many will criticize them. It's often out of pride, out of selfishness, out of a understanding of guilt, I guess, because they know they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, and so they've got to find a way to tear other people down so that they can feel better about themselves. It is as though we would rather people fail than be effective Christians. As though we would rather other Christians go through pain and hurt and embarrassment as opposed to them actually thriving, doing the work that God has called them to do. This peanut gallery, we, we read in the Bible, and you see all throughout the New Testament, these Pharisees, God calls them a few different names, vipers, hypocrites, uh, different things throughout uh, his time on earth. But the Pharisees were the religious of the religious, the most religious, more religious probably than anyone you've ever met. I don't know everyone you've met, so maybe not. But in my life, I could say they seem to be a lot more religious than people that I've met. They had a set of rules and standards that they saw as good. They were not doing these things to be evil. They were not doing these things to be bad. As a matter of fact, I would dare say they had good, relatively good motives behind why they were doing what they did. They were doing them to follow a standard or a set uh, guideline to what they thought would make God happy. But in doing so, they lost sight of pretty much everything that God had said up to that point. They had the Old Testament. They didn't have, obviously, the New Testament yet as they were living in the New Testament times and, and, uh, and Christ was there on earth. But they, they were living off the laws of Moses, the things that God gave to Moses that Moses penned. They were living off of the Jewish law that was given and set, and again, in its origins in a very good place, a very right place, but over time had turned into this life of rules as opposed to a life of following God. And we see here Christ, and we, you can see several examples. We're just going to look at this one today. But Christ here comes, and he comes knowing who his audience is, knowing exactly the situation in which he was in and who he was going to be dealing with. The Pharisees were very upset at Jesus because he would do things that were against their rules. If you look in the Bible and you'll see it in Acts and in some of the epistles as well where um, the Jews had kind of gotten caught up on themselves. And uh, so they would look down on the Gentiles. And they would say to the Gentiles, if you want to be God-honoring, you have to do exactly what we do. And there were Gentiles who wanted to be God-honoring so they would do it. And there were others who began to ask the question, but why? 
and we're thankful as we can see it work as after Christ's death and resurrection and the gospel beginning to be preached and the understanding that the gospel is available to the Gentiles as well as the Jews, that we begin to see the, the breaking down of barriers, so to say, so that the gospel it can be preached to all. But the Pharisees were very stuck in their ways. You and I have seen Christians who have been very stuck in their ways. You and I have met people, more than likely, maybe you haven't, if you haven't, great. But if you've been around church for a while, more than likely, you've met someone who says, this is how we do it, it's because we've always done it this way, and it's because I said so, or because so-and-so said so. It's never a Bible verse. Or if it is a Bible verse, it's drastically ripped out of context, or whatever it may be. And if you do anything different than them, then they go, you're a horrible person, you're a wicked person. Either you're not saved, or, uh, or, or you're just way off. You know, it's sad that in Christianity today, people who claim to love God, people who claim to desire to follow God, for whatever reason, don't seem to study what God says and to do it as God says to do it. Well, we end up being in church oftentimes as part of the peanut gallery, criticizing other people for insignificant things. The Pharisees here, they had a law, a rule, that uh, things, there are certain things that could not be done on the Sabbath day. One of those things is healing people. Isn't that absolutely crazy? But it says here that Christ came and he entered into the synagogue. Uh, in verse 27 of chapter 2, it says, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Meaning, I can do whatever I want to do. This is Christ speaking. I can do whatever I want to do on the Sabbath because the Sabbath was made by me. So I, I set the rules. And so here he's now on the Sabbath in the synagogue, and there's a man there who has a withered hand. First of all, I want you to see this morning, let me get to the outline, or this sermon's going to go too long also. They watched for him to do wrong. The Pharisees watched. They were there specifically to watch for Jesus to do wrong. Verse number 2, the Bible says, And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day. Not whether he would heal him, because there were multitudes of people who would watch Jesus to see if he would heal somebody. But they were there to see if he was going to do this on the Sabbath. How dare he do this? That they might accuse him. The Pharisees weren't there to help people. The Pharisees uh, didn't get excited when people were being helped. They just got jealous or they just got upset because their standard was not being upheld by someone else. They were just there to watch to see if they could catch Jesus doing something against their rules. I'm so thankful for the spirit that God has given our church. I'm so thankful for the people that God has given our church. But again, if you've been in church for a long time, I've been in church uh, since I was born, you have seen people, maybe you've been the people, but you've seen people who when someone walks in, they're just staring them down, anticipating a wrong move. 
What a sad place to be. That's not Christian-like. It's not God-honoring. It's not God-pleasing. You think about the people that Christ spent time with on this earth, the sinners, the poor, the sick, the wicked, the searching. You didn't see Christ spending time with Pharisees or religious leaders with the exception of when they came to him. You see, the reason why that is is because God understands people do wrong. He's not okay with it. He doesn't go, oh, and we've said this a million times. I know you're probably tired of hearing it. He doesn't say, oh, well, you're human, so it's okay. No, but he understands that you are human and that you are going to make mistakes, and God consistently says, if you come to me and confess your sins, I'll forgive you. I'll restore you. That's what I'm looking for. People who understand, I'm in the wrong, I'm sinner, I've done wrong, God forgive me. And God says, I do forgive you and I love you. But the peanut gallery sits there and goes, you're not doing it my way. Sadly, the Christian peanut gallery is large today, not in this room, thankfully. But we have to guard our hearts because sometimes what happens is we lived and we did wrong things and we sinned or whatever and God gets a hold of our hearts and we get right and we start following God and we start doing better and we start reading our Bible more and we start going to church more and all of a sudden pride begins to fill our life. All of a sudden we think, you know what? I'm doing pretty good. And then we see someone that walks in and maybe their past is very similar to ours or maybe it's what we would consider to be worse than ours or whatever it may be and all of a sudden we begin to look at other people and go, well, you're not where I am. That's not the mindset that God wants. And what we start doing is we start watching for other Christians to fail. That's what we start hoping for. What a sick place to be. We don't want to do that, but that's exactly what the Pharisees did. They watched for him to do something wrong according to their standards. Number two, they wanted him to do wrong. Not just they were watching for it, they were literally hoping that he would do something, as it says in the, verse, the end of verse 2, that they might accuse him. This happened to Daniel. If you read back in Daniel chapter 6, a, a law was put into place for the purpose of catching Daniel. Psalm 37, 32 says, The wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay him. Luke eleven fifty four it says, Laying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth, that they may, might accuse him, speaking again of Jesus. This desire to see other people fail, it is the most sadistic thing for a Christian to do. We've told you, because the Bible says, if you're going to love someone, you help them do right. That's what the Bible teaches us. If you truly love someone, then you're going to do your best to help them do what is right. We can't love our neighbor if we're hoping they fail. We can't love our neighbor if we're hoping they slip up. I've seen it before in churches where you've got this person, man, and we use the term, they're on fire for God. I mean, they just love God with all their heart, and you can tell it. They are just serving God however they can. And there are some people who sit back and go, you know what, that person just needs to calm down. 
That person just needs to stop. They're making us look bad. Now pastor's going to expect us to do more. I can promise you that if you don't do anything in the church, the pastor doesn't expect you to do more. <laughs> he wants you to, but he knows it ain't going to happen. But nonetheless, we look at these people, and so instead of being thankful, instead of encouraging, instead of uh, uplifting, we say, I cannot wait for this person to mess up. And when they do, I'm going to be there to say, I knew you were a fraud. <laughs> Guess someone messes up doesn't mean they were a fraud. The reality is that so many people sit around and watch and hope for other Christians to mess up. Why? Because of jealousy, because of pride, because of whatever sickness is in their heart. Here it is, the peanut gallery. Number three, the Pharisees had a wrong view of religion. This is the most important thing we're going to talk about, I think, this morning. They had a wrong view of religion. Look in verse number three again. It says, And he saith unto the man uh, with the withered hand, which had the withered hand, stand forth, and he saith unto them, the Pharisees, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. And we know why they held their peace. We just talked about it. They didn't answer. They didn't say, Jesus, it's against the rules for you to heal this man. It was, according to them, but we know they wanted him to do it. Not so that the man could be healed, but so that they could catch Jesus breaking a rule. When we get into this mindset that religion is a look or an action or a lifestyle, we fail to understand what is biblical about I'll use the word religion. Now, obviously, there are different religions about Christianity. Are people being saved? Are Christians growing? Are sinners repenting? Well, if so, that should encourage us. Are people being helped? I've been in a church before. Uh, we were members there. And it just seemed like they didn't want anyone to come through the doors that didn't look like them. It wasn't that they necessarily didn't want the church to grow. They just wanted when the people came to look like they did. They came in off the street. It was kind of like, eh, eh. maybe next week you can take a shower. Maybe next week you can put on a shirt and tie Next week you can, whatever. Now, if you'd ask the people point blank, they obviously wouldn't say that was the case. We were there for a year, and I promise you that was the case. It wasn't that they weren't excited when people got saved. It was just they really weren't seeing people saved. Because the people that needed to be saved didn't look like them. You see... So many times we have this view, we get into this view of religion as it has to be. Now listen, I as the pastor, I wear a suit and tie. I don't think you have to wear a suit and tie to be godly. I actually like wearing suits. Uh, I don't know how much I love ties, but I, I like wearing suits. I don't mind dressing up a little bit. 
I've met people who think if you're a Christian and you're um, following God, then when you come to church, a man, you're going to be in a suit and tie. The problem is you don't find that in the scriptures anywhere. I believe that it's important that we honor God in the way that we look. And I believe that that's not the same for every single person. I've never, and I never will, if I ever do, then it's time for a change. I've never told someone what they should wear in church. I believe that we should be modest. I believe that we should be appropriate. But my job is me and my house, not you and your house. I will never expect another man to wear a suit and tie in the church. I just won't. Now, I told the teenagers when they preached, I asked them to, to, to dress a little nicer. But it's not my job to control you. It's no other person's job to control you. It's your responsibility to answer to God for the way that you live in every area of life. And I just don't understand why people get so caught up. I know our church doesn't, so I know I'm preaching to the choir today, but it's... I never understood why someone gets so caught up in a suit and tie or in a dress or in whatever. The point is, it's a wrong view of religion. There, there are the extremes that say you have to comb your hair a certain way. All right? I mean, those are extremes, extremes. James. give out two pays on Father's Day, comb the right way. No. Um, <laughs> those are the extremes, and thankfully those aren't, there's not a ton of those. But amazingly, there are people, Christians, so-called, who believe that if you're a man and your hair isn't combed a certain way, you're not right with God. Isn't that silly? That doesn't make any sense. But what it comes down to is a wrong view of religion. These Pharisees, they had the view that in order to be right, you have to do everything this way. And so Jesus, God in the flesh, stood before them. And he calls up the man with the withered hand. He says, stand for, stand here. And he comes. And Jesus looks at the Pharisees. Is it lawful in your book for me to heal this man? And they held their peace. It amazes me because we always talk about, boy, if, if so-and-so could, could, could just, you know, if Jesus could appear right now and show them himself, then they would do this or then they, would, then they would be saved. If, they would, if, if Jesus would just show up in this person's life, then they would get right with God. If they could just see him, if he could just appear. Jesus was on the earth for 30, what, four years, and yet so many rejected him, so many that claimed to love him, so many that claimed to follow him, so many that claimed to study of him rejected him because they weren't looking for God, they were looking for religion. And that's not what we're called to seek. We're called to seek after God. And I have told you this before, and I know we've got 
some people who haven't been here as long, so maybe you haven't heard me say it, so hear me say it now. The standards in your life, whatever they are, dress, music, entertainment, um, the, the, the way that you live, the things that you do, they ought to be based off of the Bible. And they ought to be something that you have prayed about and that you have asked God about. And then you hold to those standards that God gives you. And don't hold other people to those standards. There are things in the Bible that are black and white, clear as day, right and wrong. Well, sure, we should hold people to that which is right. But there are other things in life that, that men have put standards and rules on that aren't so-called biblical, meaning it's not black and white in the Bible. They base it off of a principle or whatever that may be. But I'm telling you, pray about it because God says, if you ask, I will answer. I think I've told the story before, but there was a day in Indiana when I was pastoring in Indiana, and I looked around, and all my friends that I went to school with um, were using a different Bible than what I was using. And I asked God, I said, did I miss something? Because I'd always been taught, I grew up being taught there's uh, one Bible that is right for the English language, the King James Version of the Bible. And I was around some people who were uh, incredibly hard on that. I just remember sitting in my office, and I was a pastor, and I thought, you know, I need to know what is right for me. And listen, there are reasons, and we're not going into them today. There are reasons why people believe that the, the, the Bible for the English language is the King James Version of the Bible. I am one of those people, but the reason why I hold the standard today and for the past 10 years is because in my office in Indiana for two days, not 48 hours, but for two days I prayed, I was reading books and stuff like that, and as I was reading them, I just stopped and I closed them, and I said, I don't need this stuff. And I just prayed, and I said, God, what do you want me to use? What do you want for my life? Because if I'm reading a book that's pro this version and a book that's pro this version, guess what? They're going to be a little biased, and they're going to use their opinions, and it is what it is. And I said, God, I just need what you want me to do. You all know I don't like to read anyhow. I was getting tired of reading all those books. And uh, I said, God, what do you want from me? What do you want me to use? And I got perfect peace on continuing forward with the King James Version of the Bible. If you use a different version of the Bible, I don't think you're wicked. I don't think you're godless. I know people that do, but I don't. But I hope that you make it a matter of prayer. I know people who have come up like me and grown up in a very conservative area and a conservative church and, and, and the dress standards were very high. And then as you get older and not a kid anymore and you begin to realize there are good people in this world that dress differently. But wait, how can they be good if they dress differently? Or isn't that wrong? You read your Bible and you pray, you start to realize, hey, this is actually, so it's okay. Again, we're getting into the weeds a little bit this morning, but the wrong view of religion is rule one, rule two, rule three, rule four, rule five. The right view of Christianity is the Bible says, and I've prayed to God about it, 
and now I'm going to go do what God's told me to do. That's the right way to do it. If you're different from me, I got no problem with that, as long as you've prayed about it, and as long as you're following what God has told you to do, not what some person has told you to do, not what some pastor has told you to do, not what some friend has told you to do, honestly, not even what, if you're out of the home, what a parent has told you to do. You follow God's word because people can be wrong, but God cannot. You read the Bible, you pray, and then you follow what God has told you to do. Have the right view of religion. These Pharisees had a wrong view. Rules were being broken. We don't care if people are being healed. It's against the rules. <laughs> there are pastors uh, that are friends of mine, but I would never invite them to preach in our church. I love them as a friend, but as a pastor, I don't want them in the pulpit. I don't agree with a lot of the stuff they say or do. But you know what? When people get saved in their churches, I don't say, well, because they do this wrong, in my opinion, that didn't count. Because <laughs> that's not how it works. I'm going to rejoice in people who are saved. We all should. It should be something that excites us when someone gets saved, instead of sitting there and, and tearing down all the reasons why they shouldn't have gotten saved that way. That's just not how it works. Are you a part of the good, or are you a part of stalling the good? Are you part of the peanut gallery that's criticizing the good that's going on, the godliness that's going on, the, the blessings that are happening, but you're saying, well, they didn't do it the way that I would have done it, so that doesn't count. Part of the peanut gallery. Lastly, this morning, they watched him to do wrong. They wanted him to do wrong. They had a wrong view of religion. Lastly, fourthly, they saw God work and they responded. Verse 5, And when he, God, Jesus, had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. You understand why he's angry and why he's grieved, right? Religious leaders are upset because he's about to help someone. It says there in verse number 5, He saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored, whole as the other. So he saw God heal somebody right in front of their very eyes. Verse 6, their response, The Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. They watched a man miraculously healed and they said, we've got to figure out how to get rid of this Jesus. Why? <laughs> these Pharisees had watched, maybe not these individual Pharisees, but the Pharisees had watched as God took blind people and allowed them to see, deaf people and allowed them to hear, people who hadn't walked since uh, ever in their life and made it so they could now walk, people who had demons and cast them out, people who had other physical issues and now were healed, a group of people who had no lunch, God miraculously fed them. 
Surely they heard the stories of the fishermen who had caught nothing and had fished all day. And he, and he hollered out to them, fish on the other side. And they thought to themselves, well, we've already fished on that side, but I guess we'll do it anyways. And suddenly their boats began to sink because of all the fish they had in their nets. I promise you that news spreads fast. And yet their response to the miracles of Jesus were we have to destroy him. You see the peanut gallery, that's all they're looking for. Promotion of self, demotion of everyone else. And when God in flesh stood before them, their only thoughts were we have to get rid of him. Not let's see who else he will help. Not let's bring more people to him. Not let's, let's learn from him. No. Let's get rid of them. And you see, Christians today, they would never say it this way, but Christians today sit in pews or chairs or wherever and they think, I know God says he wants to do this. I know God says he will do this. I know God wants me to love my neighbor. I know God wants me to serve him. I know that God wants me to follow him, but I need to get rid of him because it's not matching up with what I want to do. You see, sometimes we say, okay, I'm going to do right. So we read our Bible and we pray. And we say, God, what do you want for me to do? And God says, I want you to do this. And you say, uh, I was really hoping you wouldn't say that. That doesn't match up with what I want. So then you have a decision to make. Are you going to follow God or are you going to try to destroy him? You see, we are uh, naturally given the the, the mindset of taking care of self, self-preservation. Do whatever I can to satisfy my needs. And when God says no to something, or when God says something different than what you were planning, when God tells you this needs to change in your life, when God says whatever he says to you and you go, that's not really where I was wanting to go, you have the option now to do right or to be the Pharisee. And I'm not saying being religious like the Pharisee, I'm saying doing wrong like the Pharisees. There have been things in my life where I had to come to the conclusion of, even though it might not be wrong to do it, it wasn't necessarily biblical, a standard. And I was holding to it like it was biblical truth. And when God enlightened me that it wasn't biblical truth, I had to come to the realization I don't have to hold to this anymore. I don't have to try to hold other people to this anymore. Because although in and of itself it's not evil, it's also not in and of itself biblical. We have friends that hold different standards than us, and when we're around them, we'll hold to their standards. We believe it's polite and we believe it's right to do. We don't flaunt our differences. Because God doesn't say, Vince, I want you to do this, and because I want you to do this, you need to make sure everyone else does this too. No, what God does say is, Vince, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. But he also tells you that. 
He says, Vince, I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. But you know what? He also tells you to do this. He says, Vince, I don't want you to listen to that. He might not tell you that. Vince, I don't want you to dress this way. He might not tell you that. But he does say, in your lifestyle, you ought to honor God. He tells you that too. So there might be things that we differ on that are insignificant in the grand scheme of things. That's okay. We've got to hold fast to the truth of scriptures. And we've got to do what God tells us to do. And as a church, we have to do it together. United for the cause of Christ. I believe God has blessed our church with a great spirit. And the visitors that we've had in have said the same thing. As we've talked to them, they said, your church really is. They're friendly and they're kind. As the church grows, it's going to be harder. But how we help maintain that spirit in our church, number one, we trust God and ask him for the help to do so. Number two, we just keep doing right. And as people come into the church, listen, (laughs) one thing I've learned as a pastor is (laughs) people will leave churches and they'll come to this church angry about something, upset about something, whatever it may be, which typically tells me at some point in time they're going to be angry or upset about something at this church, just the way it works. So we just cover the church in prayer, ask for God for his help. As a pastor, I ask God for for help leading. And I hope in your life you ask God for help as well, to live the way you're supposed to live, and then also that you can help others do the same because if we love our neighbor we're going to help them do right it's not to say that we won't have someone come to this church at some point in time and and they have a judgmental attitude and look down at people the fear is is that it gets contagious God will change their heart eventually or they'll leave one of the two I prayed, as, as stupid as I was when I became a pastor at age 26, I prayed from day one, God help people to get on board or to leave. We don't need fighting in the church. We don't need division in the church. There's enough churches in the area. If you want to be divisive, go do it somewhere else. But here, we want to have the right view of Christianity. We don't want to be like the Pharisees. We don't want to be in the peanut gallery criticizing people over insignificant things. We want to together strive to honor God in the things that we do. And I'll tell you point blank, if you can't do that, I want you to leave. You can wait till we're done, the service is done. You can stay to lunch even. But I don't want you here if you're going to cause problems. God doesn't want you here if all you're going to do is cause problems. He wants you here so that you can fix your heart, so that you can get right with him, so that you don't cause problems. Let's stand together, let's strive together, let's do together what God desires for us to do and let's not fall into the peanut gallery where we're nitpicking everyone else in our own pride and our own selfishness. God help us. Humbly we come before you today.
seeking your help, that, God, we would maintain the right spirit within our church. God, that we would continue with the right spirit in our church. God, that we would not be Christians that act unchristianly. God, that we would not be Christians that act religious, but God, that we would be Christians that follow you every step of the way. Help us, Lord, in our own lives, individually, the things that we need to change, God, change us. God, convict us of that change, and Lord, I pray that humbly we would each come to you and give to you those things and make the changes that are necessary. God, the areas that we need to maintain, give us the strength to maintain. God, help us to not be part of the peanut gallery, but, Lord, to be followers of you. I pray in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you stand with me, please, this morning? If there's an area in your life that God spoke to you about today, I pray that you take care of it right now, whatever it may be. Maybe God's convicted you. Maybe you've been living a little bit of a judgmental spirit recently. Would you give it over to God? Maybe you're guilty of something that I've been guilty of before, judging those who are judgmental. Would you ask God to forgive you so that you can be on the right path with where God wants you to be? Like I said before, I think our church has a wonderful spirit. But I don't know what's going on in your heart. Today, would you just simply, if there is something that needs to be taken care of with God, just take care of it now. At your seat, at the front, wherever you want. You want someone to pray with you, feel free to come to the front. We'll pray with you. But you can take care of it right there at your seat. Just, just give it to God. Maybe there's areas in your life that you said, well, I want to do this, but I believe God wants me to do something different. Today, would you surrender to that? Just give it to God. Follow him.